A warning before we get started. This episode of True Crime Chronicles includes discussion of suicide. Please take care while listening. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. I fear she's not coming back. I fear we may never find her at all. I noticed uh, smoke, cigarette smoke in the house, which really depressed me. And why was that, sir? That's when I started thinking Emily's not coming home. I didn't want this to be one of those cold cases that they finally discover the truth 10 years later. I, I did not hurt you. I did not hurt you. I loved you. When I got selected, I looked at it like a job. I had to do my job. I had to do my best. Earlier this year, Brittany Bailey, a reporter with local news station 10TV in Columbus, Ohio, sat down with a woman named Connie, juror number eight, in a murder trial she'd been covering for weeks. Well, early on, we learned what it was about, what it was, and I thought, wow, that's a big one. This is a big thing, because you know, I thought it would be something, maybe a, somebody trying to get out of a DUI, or, you know, I never dreamed it would be something so big. Connie said as the trial went on, she had her mind made up, but she had no way to know what the rest of the jury was thinking. And of course, I'm wondering how all the other jurors are thinking, and we're not allowed to talk about it during our breaks. And we, so we fortunately got to, on a personal note, got to know each other well. And I think I've become friends and connected with so many. I'm even though we were such a diversified group, but we never talked about it. So going to deliberation, I was so curious how, what they were thinking. Connie said as the jury began to deliberate, it still wasn't clear whether or not there would be consensus among the jury members. No one would come right. I said to them, I said, um, can I just tell you what I think? I've been busting to tell you what I think about this case. I'm so passionate about it. And they said, and then we were all kind of interrupting each other and, and we finally decided to put one of the guys in charge and, um, He said, let's just make a timeline. Let's put this up on the chalkboard. Let's look at this. So still at that point, I wasn't sure how they were all thinking. The next day, Connie says things went a little differently. Finally, I said, you guys, let's, can we just go around in a circle here and talk about what we're thinking on this case? And I thought that was pretty smart of me to say that because once I said that, they kind of all opened up. My name is Brittany Bailey, and I'm a reporter at 10TV in Columbus, Ohio. For years now, Brittany Bailey has been covering the case of an Ohio woman named Emily Noble. Well, I think one of the first things that people will tell you about her is that she loved being in the outdoors. She was just a tiny sprite of a woman. She was roughly five feet tall, barely 100 pounds, and loved spending time outdoors. She walked all the time. She was known as a forager, so she spent a lot of time in the woods. She loved to pick berries and herbs and dry some of them, use them as tea perhaps. And so she just loved being in the outdoors. And she was really, some people have described her sort of a modern day hippie, very granola. In 2020, Emily and her husband, Matthew Moore, were living in Westerville, Ohio, a short drive north of Columbus. 
and the past year had been a difficult one for the couple. After Matthew Moore's son, Emily Noble's stepson, had died by suicide the prior year. That put a huge strain on the relationship. Matthew Moore did not handle it well. It was his only son after losing his previous son at a very young age. And he took it pretty hard and was fairly depressed, I think, about it. And that strained the relationship. Meanwhile, Emily Noble also was taking it very hard. She took time off work and she had gone to therapy I mean, Joey was her stepson and lived with them. And so that just really put a strain on the relationship. And of course, anyone who's been in a relationship and lost a child can understand that sometimes it brings people together, sometimes it pushes them apart. And it looked like in this case, that was at least one main reason that the couple was struggling. But May 24th, 2020 should have been a good day. It was Emily Noble's 52nd birthday and she wanted to celebrate it by spending some time in nature with her husband. And they decided that they were going to have a few birthday celebrations. And one of the things that they did was to sort of travel and go to this place in Ohio where you can get water free from this natural spring and collect it again. They really were trying to live this healthy, hippie lifestyle. And that was one of the things they did. After they got back to their home in Westerville, Emily and Matthew decided to keep the celebration rolling. And so there's a section of town called Uptown Westerville, and that's where they decided to go. And they went to three different places. And this is actually after they had already visited a place called Field of Heroes. And this was Memorial Day weekend, if you remember. And Field of Heroes in Westerville basically is this really elaborate display of humongous American flags. It's very beautiful to see in person. It's a place many people visit, especially that weekend. And we know that they visited because they took pictures while they were there. And after that, they did go to three different bar restaurants in Uptown Westerville, had some drinks, and then went back home. And from there, things get a little murky about what happened. We know that you know they definitely did go home. And then um, one resident in the area who puts her back at home 7 to 8 p.m. range on Sunday the 24th of May. We're told that perhaps they went to bed at that point. Matthew Moore was waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, had checked the clock, was on his phone, decided instead of going back to their bedroom to go to his son's former room in order to perhaps not wake up his wife. And then the next morning, she's not there. Emily was gone, but she hadn't told anyone she planned on going anywhere that morning. And it looked like she hadn't taken anything with her, not even her phone. Apparently, she never left without her phone. Along with enjoying the outdoors, she really liked to take pictures. Most of the pictures on her phone were of plants and flowers and things like that. But her phone, her keys, her wallet, everything of importance was left behind. Unable to reach his wife, Matthew Moore started calling around to see if anyone else had heard from her. He first called Emily Noble's very good friend, Celeste Grone. And she said, well, you need to call the police. And so then that evening, Matthew Moore called the police and they responded to his house. Now at six, this Westerville woman spent the evening with her husband celebrating her birthday. The next day, she vanished. As police began searching for Emily Noble, they called her disappearance suspicious, but added that there didn't seem to be any signs of foul play. Westerville police say they've searched woods and water by land and air. They've searched her home and say there are no indications of foul play. I think the nature of this disappearance is suspicious because how many people up and vanish, leaving everything behind like that. Now, that said, we've had another recent case where a young lady did exactly that. 
and police were not the only ones out looking for Emily. Well, there were lots of searches, many of them by people who were not associated with the police department. They were volunteer searchers. Some of them didn't even know Emily Noble. They just felt compelled to help. There's something special about Emily Noble. Just ask her friends. Very intelligent, intuitive, sensitive, kind, extremely kind. Wendy Carney Hitch calls her a kindred spirit. I like to say we're both the kind of girls that people write songs about. <laughs> but tonight, those who love Emily are in agony. Every single day I cry. Every single day. I had a feeling of dread. Um, I cried immediately. Um, we just don't think she would have just walked away. Three weeks later, that dread has only deepened. We want to know what happened. Yeah. What's your fear? I fear she's not coming back. I fear we may never find her at all. Friends, family, and even strangers spent the summer of 2020 searching different locations, looking for any clue as to what might have happened to Emily Noble. Yeah, we're just, we're, we're having people come out today, no dogs, no children, doing searches, social distance, work in groups. If you see anything, don't touch anything, just take pictures. Note where you're at so we can have the professionals come in and take it from there. Doing what they can to find justice for Noble, but these friends know her enough to know. If, if she was out there somewhere, she wouldn't let all of us worry about her for 12 weeks. She would, you know, con she would have contacted someone by now. There has also been some criticism that Matthew Moore was not more directly involved in some of the searches. He had told people, though, he wanted to leave it up to police. And one of the things we heard in court is that maybe he didn't want to search because he did suspect that maybe something bad had happened to his wife and he didn't want to find her that way, especially after what had happened to his son the previous summer. The searches continued until September of 2020, when a group of volunteers was out combing through a patch of woods next to Emily Noble and Matthew Moore's home. Some volunteers were once again deciding they were going to search a wooded area near Emily Noble's home. And at that point, they did discover a body, a badly decomposed body, clearly had been there for a long time. Um, the body appeared to be somewhat hanging from the branch of a tree with a USB cable around her neck. And at that point, we did not know who it was. Um, it was just reported that remains had been found in this area. The body was found in these woods about a block away from where Emily Noble lives. The body was found by three women searching for Noble. It is a dead body. It is. We think. We think it is. Oh, okay. Okay. About 7.30 Wednesday night, searchers out looking for Emily Noble found a body in the woods just off County Line Road. What I want you to do is I want you to stay away from the scene as much as possible so that you do not disrupt anything. But I want you so that there's no kids or anything that get near it, okay? I think right away some alarm bells went off for some folks, but given the deterioration of the body, there was not an identification able to be made very soon after this. Friends who have spent the last few months searching are wondering if this could be Noble. We kind of stood out here until almost midnight <laughs> and um, just trying to see if it was our friend or not. Celeste Grone has known Noble for years and has traveled with her. She came to see where the body was found and to pray. She's hoping it's not Noble, but adds no matter who it is. Prayers are appreciated. And there is an autopsy being done, trying to find out who it is and what happened. 
Westerville police hope to have those answers as soon as possible. Within the next week, Westerville police held a press conference to share an update. I just want to say that uh, we don't have a lot of information today, but I know this has been a highly emotional uh, case for the family of Emily Noble, uh, for the city of Westerville, and really for the central Ohio region. And um, today we received word from the coroner's office that Emily Noble's dental records uh, are consistent with the remains that were found off County Line Road last week. Um, Again, they're consistent. Um, The coroner's office has indicated to us that they will be following up with a DNA test for confirmation. As you know, that could take days up to a few weeks uh, to get that confirmation back. But we felt that, uh, you know, with the with the dental records, um, with them being consistent, that we needed to to release this this information. Westerville Chief of Police Charles Chandler goes on to say that the area where this body was found had already been searched. Uh, we can confirm that that area was searched on three separate occasions by Westerville police detectives and Westerville police personnel. And on at least one of those occasions, a cadaver dog was used. But that statement would turn out to be false. This area had not been searched on three different occasions. In fact, it hadn't been searched at all. And it turned out to be really a case of miscommunication. There was one officer, Sergeant Hollis, who responded to the scene at first, and we watched some of his body camera footage, and he was talking with Matthew Moore, interviewing him during that first 911 call response where Matthew Moore had reported his wife missing and police came to sort of ask questions. There was another officer who showed up as well, and Celeste Grone had ended up coming to the scene as well. And there was some sort of indication that some patrol officers at that time had searched that area. Celeste and or Matt had directed them where she often liked to walk. So the impression was that someone had searched the area she often wanted to go. Instead, they had sort of walked around it. No one had actually gone into the woods. So I just want that to be the backdrop here where that incorrect information was built upon in the months after. And so every time there was a discussion, it was like, well, that area had already been searched and hadn't been. In October of 2020, DNA testing would confirm what those dental records had suggested. Tonight, police confirm what everyone expected, but nobody wanted to hear. Emily Noble is officially dead. The Westerville Police Department, after being notified by the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, confirmed DNA tests from the body found in September matched Emily Noble. Westerville police continue to investigate this matter concerning Noble's disappearance and her death. When it was confirmed that it was the body of Emily Noble, I think many people were shocked because everyone was under the impression that that area had been searched not only once, but multiple times. And she was found in the woods not far from her home. The wooded area is right next to her subdivision, obviously within walking distance. And this was an area she frequented often. So the fact that she could have been there all of this time without ever having been found just stumped everyone and I think was really troubling and and really confusing for lots of people. And there were many, many questions about how that could have happened. At the top of a long list of questions was how Emily Noble had died. Information was slow to come until June of 2021, when police made another announcement. I want to start this off by saying, obviously, whenever we talk about the, the Emily Noble case, the first thing that comes to my mind 
is uh, the loss that her family has felt and what her family has went through for what has been over a year now. Um, you know, May 25th, she was reported missing and uh, her remains were not discovered until September 16th. And this was a, an event that really shocked the conscience of our community, um, her disappearance and then um, the, lo- the locating of her remains. At that time, I told all of you that we used every resource available uh, to search for Emily, and we have also used every resource available to uh, try to bring this, this case to a conclusion. I remember that press conference distinctly. We heard that there was going to be an announcement, and the announcement was that Matthew Moore was arrested and charged with the murder of his wife, Emily Noble. So... Uh, I'm here to announce that at 9.36 this morning, uh, Matthew L. Moore, Emily's husband, was arrested. Uh, He is currently in custody. He was indicted yesterday by the Delaware County Grand Jury on uh, two different counts of murder under sections A and B of the Higher Revised Code and indicted on felonious assault. And at that time, they determined that not only had he killed his wife, according to investigators, but he had then staged her death to look like a suicide. And we learned more about how the remains were found. We learned that Emily Noble's body had been found with that USB cord tied around her neck, hanging from a tree branch, or what we later found was a shrub branch. And that was how she had been killed. And they cited coroner's evidence and the autopsy saying that her murder was homicide and that the injuries she had sustained in her neck had to be from manual strangulation. They provide a thorough report of their findings that included multiple facial fractures and multiple neck fractures that Emily suffered. We then provided our entire case file, the OSU report, and all the information that we were able to gather in this case to a strangulation expert. His findings were very clear. He said that this was clearly a homicide based on the injuries that were sustained and the mechanism of those injuries. He also gave his opinion that her body was staged to appear as though it was a suicide. And in his opinion, that was absolutely not the case. Today, we heard about a major break in this case, one that Emily Noble's family and friends have been waiting for for more than a year. Today, her husband is in custody and charged with her murder. We went straight from the press conference where we're learning all of this new information and then we went outside and he's you know walking in handcuffs to a, a cruiser to be taken to jail and there were a couple of reporters there and you know we tried to ask a couple of questions and he just said you know it's a mistake making a mistake it's a mistake that's all he really said he definitely you know professed his innocence in saying that and then he was in a car and taken away and then the case ramped up from there Following the announcement, Brittany Bailey spoke to family and friends of Emily Nobles, who had long suspected that Emily was killed. Well, this is a day Emily Nobles' friends and family say they were dreading, but knew was coming. They feel justified now in knowing that Emily Noble did not die by suicide. In fact, her husband is now charged with murder, accused of staging that suicide scene. Still, today's arrest does not necessarily bring them peace. I knew something. I didn't want to know it. I wanted her to be somewhere, ran away or something, but I knew that she wasn't around because that wasn't her. I breathed a sigh of relief. And why do you say that? 
Um, I didn't want this to be one of those cold cases that they finally discover the truth 10 years later, only because I knew her, you know, and we all did, and we just wanted justice. It just seems um, ironic that he would, he would have a party for Emily, you know, a remembrance party, because it was like right after her, her birthday time frame and disappearance and yet hide being guilty, possibly. I just hope Emily rests in peace now. That's, that's all I'm just, and I miss her. I really wish she were here. Now, I also talked to Matthew Moore's father today. He did not want to go on camera, but he told me in his words that the family is scared to death and that his son is innocent. Matthew Moore would plead not guilty and it would take over a year for this case to go to trial. Right before the trial was finally to start, there was a big sort of court battle to delay it once again because the defense had come up with Dr. Heather Garvin, who is an expert who is going to testify that suicide could not be ruled out as a cause of death, even though many of the doctors and the reports had determined that her death had to be a homicide and that the injuries to her neck could not have been made by the ligature that was holding her, that sort of thing. And so the prosecution wanted more time to find an expert to counteract that. And the judge of the case at the time said no. And so the trial went on, finally, after many delays. As the trial finally got underway in August of 2022, there seemed to be an endless stream of questions on the minds of everyone in the courtroom. I think especially before hearing some of the evidence in court, the big questions were, how long had her body been there? How did she get there? If indeed it was a staged suicide, as we had been hearing from investigators up until that point, was she killed at home and then her body was carried and no one saw that? And then how does one place the body where you know, it staged how she was, you know, on her knees and, you know, it was, the cord was wrapped around her neck, but it wasn't knotted. It was sort there was sort of a loop and then the end was placed through the loop. And then the question becomes, if that's how it was knotted, how could she have hung herself? This is a branch. Could it have held her weight? Um, how could no one have found her? Even the cadaver dogs. There are honestly so many questions that, frankly, I still have even after the trial. But um, it was very, very confusing to, to figure out exactly how this would have played out. Our other big story at six. The trial now underway for Westerville man accused of murdering his wife. Emily Noble disappeared back in 2020. Her body found four months later. Today, the jury was seated and the jurors went to the spot where Noble's body was found. For the jury, this trial began with a field trip as jurors were taken to the neighborhood where Emily Noble and Matthew Moore lived. I think the idea was to just give jurors a sense of these locations we're talking about and how close or how far various things are so that when they're hearing this evidence in court and they're seeing maps and they're hearing from witnesses, they can kind of picture it and understand it. So they were put on um, a little bus and taken to... Um, Emily Noble and Matt Moore's condo in the community, and then driven over to the wooded area so they could kind of see the distance. And then they actually walked along the bike path and down along the sidewalk to kind of see where 
Emily Noble often walked. And then we actually went down into the woods where her body was found. We saw the exact branch that still has notches in it to this day from the USB cable. And we saw the exact place her body was found. And to this day, there's actually a golf ball pressed into the ground to mark the exact location where her body was found. So they got to see exactly where she had been. Then back in the courtroom, both sides delivered opening statements, beginning with the prosecution. So from day one, it became pretty clear that jurors were going to be asked to determine, was this murder or was this suicide? And of course, prosecutors wanted them to believe it was definitely murder. And they were going to lay out all of the physical evidence and they were going to lay out their case against Matthew Moore and why they felt that he was the one responsible for that. They talked about um, the failing marriage and how he... Emily Noble may have wanted out of it. One of the text messages they showed uh, eventually in the trial talked about the fact that she had removed her wedding ring and we knew that they were having challenges. They brought on witnesses who would talk to the, about the fact that Emily Noble had suffered many tragedies in her life, including previous suicides of loved ones and would never do that herself. So we knew that that's what the prosecution was going to try to prove throughout this case. The defense then had a chance to preview its case. They felt that they did not have to do much of a job to defend Matthew Moore because they felt the evidence was not there to tie him to the crime. Um, there was no physical evidence tying him to Emily Noble's death and where she was found. Um, they brought up the fact that she had indeed had past suicide in her life. And so perhaps this was a way out for her because she was struggling as well. But they just felt that there was nothing that would tie their client to the death of Emily Noble. A pivotal moment in this trial would come early on, on the very first day of testimony, when jurors were shown hours of body camera footage from the officer who responded to Matthew Moore's 911 call when he'd reported his wife missing. During that time, Moore made at least four different mentions of his worry that something bad had happened to his wife, potentially even suicide. And he added that his own son had died by suicide. I've got a few more years when my son died. Same thing. I had the worst case scenario in my head, maybe she did something to herself. Um, suicide, man. I would, I don't know. I might have some instances. She was the herder, so like there was something along those lines. I think a lot of people saw that body camera footage and heard Matthew Moore talking to the officer and truly believed that he was a distraught husband who had no clue what had happened to his wife. And in talking with people, you know, outside of the court that first day and, and later hearing from some jurors, I know that that made a big impact on what they thought about Matthew Moore. He seemed like a distraught husband. He was trying to show officers this and that. He was cooperative. He was willing to open his phone and, and show them this and send a text message and, and talk with the officers and answer any questions. And, you know, did not seem like someone who was attempting to hide or cover up anything, according to many of the folks I've talked to. This footage wouldn't be the only time jurors would hear directly from Matthew Moore. Guys, I did not hurt her. I did not hurt her. I loved her. The next time we saw Matthew Moore talking, and I think that's always key, especially because he didn't take the stand, you know, listening to the actual person who's on trial and the way that we're getting to hear from him is through these interviews. The other one was an interview with detectives where he was actually at the police station. And there definitely was a change in mood. And I think that, you know, people paid attention to that. Guys, I did not hurt him. 
I did not hurt her. I loved her. How many know I did not hurt her? I didn't do that. So, so the other, other thing that I think of is that she did something. He repeatedly did talk about suicide and suggested that his wife may have, you know, died by suicide, maybe hurt herself. Um, One other thing of note, he also was speaking of her in the past tense, and there were some people who had some red flags about that. He said he loved ED, his wife, things like that. I want to help you. I want to get this going because I didn't do it, and I want you to find whatever the hell I can do it. You guys want to look at anything in my body, you want to look at anything at all, but, you know, other people would say he was just at a moment where he's very stressed and, you know, he feared that something bad had happened to her and that's why he was speaking that way. This was likely a very tough day for jurors. They saw some really graphic photos of Emily Noble's body in the exact position she was found. They also heard from Matthew Moore himself in a videotaped interview and heard some personal messages between the couple. It was very much up and down from the the beginning of it, end of October until approximately beginning of April. And at that point, it seemed to be the up and down. There There were no more ups and the conversation just seemed to be going down at that point. That was how Westerville Police Detective Steve Grubbs described the deteriorating relationship between Matthew Moore and Emily Noble in the months before she was reported missing. You may recall that was in May of 2020. Now, before she went missing, messages revealed in court show the couple was experiencing some rocky times. This was from Noble. Says you might want to find out what I heard you talk about last night on the phone. It's very serious. I'm not wearing my wedding rings. We won't be able to talk tonight because you've been drinking. The jury would also hear testimony from a neighbor of Matthew Moore and Emily Noble, who testified to seeing Emily Noble taking frequent walks, including the night before she was reported missing. That same neighbor also testified that he agreed to buy alcohol and cigarettes for Matthew Moore the day after Emily was reported missing, and that he was troubled by something he noticed shortly after. I noticed uh, smoke, cigarette smoke in the house which really depressed me. And why was that, sir? Uh, That's when I started thinking Emily's not coming home. Uh, Why did cigarette smoke make you think that? Because Emily would not allow anyone to smoke in the house. Later in the trial, a medical expert for the prosecution would testify about the injuries to Emily Noble's neck. Dr. Smock was testifying that the cable around her neck could not have caused the injuries that she had on her neck. She had four distinct fractures, two higher up and two lower down. If you have a very thin USB cord, it could potentially cause two fractures, although even that, he testified, was highly unlikely. But it was certainly not wide enough to span the neck to have caused all four fractures, the higher and lower, if that makes sense. And so I think hearing that, you know, he's absolutely said it had to be manual strangulation and that he's never seen a case before where those types of fractures could have been caused by someone dying by suicide. The defense would later call a medical expert who reached a different conclusion. Then you have Dr. Heather Garvin for the defense side coming in and saying, you can't rule out suicide. You know, there have been cases where these types of fractures have occurred because someone um, has died by hanging. You know, the, the prosecution would later argue that those cases were by people who 
died by complete hanging versus incomplete hanging. And they also were by people who were much heavier. A reminder, Emily Noble was very short, roughly five feet, and only weighed roughly 100 pounds. On August 26th, 2022, after both sides had delivered their closing arguments, the jury reached a verdict. Matthew Moore was technically charged with three counts, two counts of murder and one count of felonious assault. And as you know, in a criminal trial like this, every juror has to agree whether it's guilty or not guilty. And every single juror decided that Matthew Moore was not guilty on all of the counts. So he was completely exonerated in the death of his wife, Emily Noble. And I think people who had been closely following the trial, legal experts, people who could sort of look at the evidence presented were not shocked by the verdict. Um, I think people who were close to Emily Noble and who were hoping for a different outcome were disappointed. He's been incarcerated as an innocent man for the last 15 months. 10TV spoke to Matthew Moore's attorney later that same night. And, and I'm just, I'm so happy for him. This was a case, as I argued all throughout the trial, but particularly in my closing argument, it was purely speculation. Um, it wasn't circumstantial or direct evidence. This was just speculation. And it's uh, it's really a great day that this jury got it right. In the days after the trial, Brittany Bailey spoke with a member of the jury, a woman named Connie, who said there hadn't been much disagreement among the jurors. They didn't take long. Um, really, they, they had the end of one day and a little bit into the next day, they kind of wanted to sleep on it. But they only really deliberated for about three hours. And she said that's because everyone from the get-go, was basically an agreement that Matthew Moore was not guilty. Um, in fact, she herself said that, you know, and I think there has been a lot of criticism as, of this, but she said that her mind was made up from day one and it was up to the prosecutors to change it, and they didn't. I knew from day one I thought he was not guilty, and the prosecutors never changed my mind. Not I didn't falter on how I felt. Not for one minute. And, you know, I think there was some criticism that she received for that because I think a lot of people believe that jurors should go in open-minded from the get-go and then go where the evidence leads. Other people, though, would argue innocent until proven guilty. So she was on the right side of things by believing he was not guilty. And, you know, the prosecutors have the burden of proof. But I know she was a little bit hesitant to see the reaction um, after our chat because she had very strong feelings about it. She said she was very passionate. I asked her if she still feels she made the right decision. She said she will go to her grave knowing that she made the right decision. And interestingly enough, she said no one ever tried to push for a guilty verdict, ever. She said there were different reasons, and she didn't want to speak on behalf of anyone else. She said there were different reasons uh, why some people felt he was not guilty, but all felt he was not guilty. For instance, I think there is a difference between someone truly believing that Matthew Moore did not kill his wife, and there's a difference with people who believe the evidence did not prove he killed his wife. Those are two very different things, but both end in the same result. And they all pretty much said not guilty for various reasons, but not guilty. They all said not guilty. Not one said, mm, I'm not thinking about it, or I'm not sure. They all said not guilty. Not one person thought guilty? No, absolutely not. No. Never even hesitated. No, it, we were all not guilty. One of the questions Brittany asked Connie is, if she didn't think Matthew Moore killed his wife, what did she think happened to Emily Noble? She said, you know, I could be swayed. I could think that maybe she died by suicide, or I could think that somebody else did it. In fact, she told me she thinks that 
it's very likely that someone else close to Emily Noble did this. She didn't tell me who, but she absolutely believes Matthew Moore did not do it. I've read some of the comments online and there's always the people saying he got away with murder or they say he, he just had a good attorney. Diane, you better believe was a good attorney. But even if he would have had a mediocre attorney and I was sitting there as a juror, I think I would have believed he was not guilty. You know, it wasn't a case where this attorney got him out of a murder. I don't believe that. I believe the guy was innocent for, and I just will never believe he, he killed his wife. Is it possible someone else did? Absolutely. Brittany also asked what this juror would like to see happen with Emily Noble's case now. She said very clearly that she wants Westerville police to look at this case and to find the person she thinks is responsible for this. But at this point, investigators say they don't have plans to do anything else with this case. This is the end of the road. Um, Matthew Moore is now a free man, and I actually did reach out to Westerville police to ask that very question. Um, if, you know, they definitely believed this was homicide, and if a court of law has decided that Matthew Moore is not the guilty party, then who is? Um, and I just got a very basic answer that the case will not be reopened. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson here with Reed Rebin. Talk about this case a little bit. Reed, it's been over two years now since Emily Noble's body was discovered, and we're left without any real answers. Yeah, well, that's right. And really, whatever you think happened in this case, and there are a lot of different theories out there, I think the thing that everyone would agree on is that there hasn't been justice here. For many of Emily Noble's friends and family members, there was, of course, hope that this trial would finally provide some conclusive answers. But in a lot of ways, I think this trial just raised more questions about the case. Brittany Bailey and her colleagues at 10TV have now been covering this story for years. And what Brittany told me is that at the end of the day now, she's just still left feeling confused, that she's still thinking back through all the evidence and she can understand just about every side of this, why some people would believe that Emily Noble could have died by suicide, why others believe she was murdered. Here's a bit of what she had to say about kind of where her thoughts are at on all this now. I will probably have this go through my mind for years and years to come because there's just not one clear answer to me. And I don't know that there is to anyone. I think certainly, you know, and I can tell you this for sure, having, you know, talked with some of the investigators in this case, um, they're really, you know, one in particular, the lead detective is, is really having a hard time with this. You know, the people who worked on this case 100% fully believe that Matthew Moore did this. And you know, they they now feel like, you know, he, ha he has gotten off. Um, and they felt like their work to bring justice to Emily Noble um, was not complete. And this will stay with them for years and years to come, no doubt. Um, but for people who aren't that tightly connected to the case, I think it will still be a question. And I know, you know, this will be tough for her family for years to come as well. There are just so many questions left unanswered. The only thing that we do know is that a jury has decided that Matthew Moore is not guilty. Reed, adding to all of the confusion surrounding this case is the fact that investigators were saying for months that the area where Emily Noble's body was found had been previously searched. At what point did they actually realize that that wasn't the case? I should say I'm not sure when investigators realized the mistake, but as I understand it, it wasn't until the trial that all of this was actually revealed to the public. So you have this whole span of time 
from the fall of 2020 when the body was discovered up until this past August when the trial took place where the public is believing that this area had been searched. And in a case where the central question is, was this murder or was this suicide, that's a pretty big detail to get wrong. A police lieutenant testified that it was miscommunication that led to that spot never being searched. Emily Noble's body was found to the east of her and Matthew Moore's condo. That lieutenant described two searches involving bloodhounds that led investigators north of the condo and a cadaver dog search along a bike path that surrounds the area where the body was found. But he said, again, the actual wooded area where Emily Noble's body was found was never searched. And I frankly still have some questions about how a miscommunication like that could happen, not just thinking that the area had been searched, but confidently saying it had been searched three separate times, saying I can give dates when those searches took place. It's a big mistake. And the last thing you want in a case that turned out to be a pretty high profile case like this is bad information floating around unchecked for such a long time. The other aspect of this that I keep coming back to is, had this mistake not been made, this area would have been searched sooner and Emily Noble's body presumably would have been found sooner. So for investigators, for the coroner, instead of dealing with remains that have been out in the elements and deteriorating for May, June, July, August, and September, you might be dealing with remains that have been out there for a few weeks, maybe a month or two, and who knows what other evidence might have been there had that been the case. We also heard from a jury member, which is a perspective we don't always get in a case like this. I imagine some of our listeners will be struck by just how confident she was from day one of the trial that Matthew Moore was not guilty. Did she talk at all about specific pieces of evidence that pushed her in that direction? Yeah, Brittany asked this juror what it was that made her think from day one that Matthew Moore was not guilty. And right away, she pointed to the body camera footage from the officer who responded to the 911 call. Here's another clip of that juror, Connie, talking about that footage. I just thought Matt Moore seemed very cooperative and wanted to be helpful. And he acted like he was very distraught over his wife disappearing. And that was the first thing that I thought, right away that this wasn't, he wasn't putting on a show. He was truly wanting to help. He was volunteering all this information. He wanted volunteer to take him for a walk, you know, that the area she walked routinely. He offered something about, even said, um, you know, maybe I ought to go down in that woods, that thicket area. He even kind of wanted them to go. So that was the beginning of it. I thought, this guy's probably, I'm thinking not guilty. But I went in open-minded, hoping the prosecuting team would prove me wrong. Show me something here. Give me something. They didn't have it. They had nothing. So, of course, we don't know what others on the jury were thinking, but at least for this one juror, This footage was pretty impactful, and Brittany said that's something she heard from others who were in the courtroom, that that footage felt like it might have tipped the trial in the defense's favor. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us the story this week, and also thanks to Brittany Bailey at 10TV in Columbus, Ohio, for all her help on this episode. For True Crime Chronicles, along with Reed Redman and Will Johnson, we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.